I really believe that this teaching on knowing God is going to be a keeper. I think it's something that's going to help you. I think it's going to make a huge difference. What I'm going to minister this morning, in my estimation, I, is one of the most important things that I ever share. And very few people look at things this way. Matter of fact, I had an employee come to me many years ago, and he had been on drugs and alcohol. He came out of a terrible lifestyle. And when he got born again, he came to work for the ministry for multiple reasons, but the main one was he just wanted to sit under the Word. And he started listening to my tapes, and he'd probably listened to over a hundred of my teachings, and he says, you know what, I just want to cut to the bottom line. He says, if you only had one chance to minister to people, what would you share? And you know, I hadn't really thought about it, but after I thought about it, uh, I decided I'd minister what I'm going to talk about this morning. I believe that this is a foundational thing. If people could get this right, it would change everything. And our discipleship evangelism program that we use all around the world, uh, the very first lesson in there is on eternal life, what I'm going to talk about this morning. And I have heard testimony after testimony after testimony of how this just realigned people's focus and vision and started them out, and it's changed people's lives all around the world. Matter of fact, when I went to Uganda last year, this really blessed me because one of the things that I saw was that the people there, of course, didn't speak English. They had the messages translated, and so it wasn't me preaching. It was our Bible college graduates who took these truths and went out and preached them and had them interpreted. And so it wasn't me directly. It wasn't any anointing or anything to do with me. It was a truth that God had given me, but it was second and third generation to these people. And yet, I heard these people stand up and give testimonies, and God had touched their life exactly the way He had touched my life 30-something years ago through these same truths. And I I don't know how to explain that, but boy, that was so rewarding to me to see that it's just the truth. It's the Word. It's the message that's changing people's lives. It's not a person. It's not an individual. It's just these truths. And I guarantee you, these truths will transform your life. Let's turn over to the book of John, chapter 3. And here's a scripture that is probably one of the most familiar scriptures in the Bible and the least understood. People think, oh, I know this one. Remember, I'm talking about all this week about knowing God, how important it is to know God. And if you have personal relationship with Him, then everything else comes out of that. Many people are wanting to receive all that God has to give without receiving Him, without knowing Him personally, and that's uh, getting the cart in front of the horse. In verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes on Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Let me tell you what this verse does not say. This verse does not say that God loved us so much that He died for our sins so that we wouldn't perish and go to hell. That is not what this verse is saying. This verse is not saying that the purpose of having your sins forgiven is so that you won't perish, period. It says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes on Him would not perish, but in contrast to that, have everlasting life. And here's what everlasting life is not. Most people believe that everlasting life is just living forever. But that's not true because everybody lives forever. 
saved and unsaved. There is no such thing as ceasing to exist. When a person dies and leaves this body, our spirit and soul goes either to the Lord, if we have made a commitment to the Lord in this life, or if we have rejected the Lord or ignored the Lord, then that soul goes to hell and is eternally separated from God. But everybody lives forever. There is no such thing as ceasing to exist. It always is kind of humorous to me when somebody... uh, I mean, this is kind of sadistic, I guess, to think that this is humorous, but it's humorous when a person commits suicide thinking that they're escaping. All they've done is usher themselves into one of two places to where there is no turning back, and the vast majority of people that kill themselves, I believe, don't have a relationship with the Lord. Like this madam, uh, Washington, D.C. madam that killed herself a week or two ago, Uh, she committed suicide so that she could avoid going to jail. And I thought, man, jail would have been a lot better than hell. But boy, that reflects a worldview that people don't understand that there is life after this life and nobody ceases to exist. You aren't escaping anything. In the vast majority of cases, you are committing yourself to a fate that is infinitely worse than whatever you're dealing with right here on this earth. And so nobody ceases to exist. So in that sense, everybody has eternal life. And some people would say, well, no, eternal life is living forever in heaven instead of living forever in hell. I mean, it's, it's talking about life with God. But look down here in the last verse of this uh, third chapter, John chapter 3 and verse 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It's not talking about a future tense thing. And see, this is what a lot of people think. A lot of people believe on the Lord and receive salvation so that they won't perish, but instead they'll get to go to heaven. That's not what John chapter 3 verse 16 is talking about because eternal life isn't something that starts when we die and go to be with the Lord. It says, he that believes on the Lord has everlasting life. It is a present tense possession. So we need to rechange, we need to rethink something here. We need to change our thinking on this and decide what eternal life really is. What does the scripture teach eternal life is? Look over in John chapter 17. And this is Jesus speaking. He had taken his disciples out to the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is the night before his crucifixion, and this is where he went and prayed and agonized over the things that were going to happen to him. And this is a prayer that he prayed. In John chapter 17, verse 1, it says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Jesus is the author of eternal life. And here he is talking about that God had given him this power, that he can give eternal life to any person that he chooses. In verse 3 it says, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. You know, this is disappointing to some people. They think, man, I thought eternal life was talking about the Zoe life, living in the miraculous and seeing the supernatural power of God and all of these kind of things. The Bible defines, Jesus said that eternal life is knowing God the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And this isn't talking again about just an intellectual knowledge, but this is talking about a close, intimate, 
personal knowledge. For instance, again, the Bible says that Adam knew his wife and that she conceived and bare a child. It's talking about intimacy. It's talking about interaction. And so, put all of this back into John chapter 3, verse 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him would not perish, but instead have close, intimate, personal relationship. Know God the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. The goal of salvation, here's another way of saying this, the goal of salvation is not to escape hell. The goal of salvation isn't to get your sins forgiven. That is not the primary goal of salvation. The goal of salvation based on John 3, 16 is to have this eternal life, this intimacy, relationship with God. That's what it's all about. That's what God saved you for is to bring you into an intimate, close, personal relationship with him. And if that's true, which it is, then you know what? If all you did was get your sins forgiven, and if you don't have close, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus, you are missing the point of salvation. (laughs) That's a pretty radical statement. And let me just propose to you that this is one reason that the church is not having the impact on our world that we're supposed to, that the first century church had, is because we have changed the message. We have made the message about repent or else, turn or burn. Believe on Jesus so that you won't go to hell. And that basically is what the church is preaching. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If that's what's being taught, well, then that's what people have faith for. So you know what? Here in this nation, we have a large number of people who have been exposed to the fact that there is a heaven and hell and if you accept Jesus, you won't go to hell. And we've had a large number of people pray and ask Jesus to be their Savior and they may know Him as Savior, but then they don't know Him intimately, closely, personally, so they are not walking in the abundance that God has for them. They are a poor advertisement for the gospel. You know, again, I'm preaching to the choir. Here it is a Friday morning. You're the fanatics. You're either a fanatic or you were brought here by a fanatic. But did you know that the typical Christian today... You could go into the businesses where they work and their workers don't even know that they're born again. They don't know that they have taken a stand. There's many people, there's probably people sitting right here that your workers that work with you don't know that you believe in the supernatural power of God. They may be dying of cancer. They may have terrible things going on in their life and they don't know that the person sits right next to them believes that God can heal. They would be shocked to find out. That's not good. You know, one of the most embarrassing things that happened to me was when my best friend from grade school got born again and then saw me on television and came and met me and I met him and his wife and we went out to eat and we were having a great time just reminiscing and he was telling me about how he had been an alcoholic and got born again and God changed his life and he said, when did you get saved? I said, I got saved when I was eight. He says, you mean you were a Christian when we were kids and you never talked to me and you never told me? If I'd have been arrested for being a Christian, there wouldn't have been enough evidence to convict me. 
You know, that's not good. And he was, he was just shocked. He says, I can't believe. And he says, well, when we got into junior high, it's like you just went your way. And I said, it's because you were living such an ungodly life. I didn't want to be tainted by you. And he said, well, why didn't you come say something to me? And see, again, the religion that I was brought up in, it wasn't about taking what God had done. It was about, you know, getting away from these unholy people. And I became a religious Pharisee. You know what? There's a lot of people that because they don't truly know God, they aren't making Him known. You're a bad witness. People look at you and you're as sick, you're as poor, you're as bitter, you're as scared. You worry just the same as the people that don't have God in their life. Something's wrong with this picture. And you know, one of the reasons that this has come to pass is because the message that is being preached is come to the Lord and get your sins forgiven so you won't go to hell. We are not presenting relationship with God as the goal of salvation. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so people don't have faith to have a relationship with God. They don't know that this is what salvation is all about. But let me, let me say it this way. That you know what? If there was no heaven or hell... Jesus still would have come and have died for our sins to remove that barrier so that we could enter into close, intimate, personal relationship with Him. If all there was to salvation was 50, 60, 70 years here on this earth walking with God, Jesus would have died and forgiven our sins so that we could come into relationship with Him. Salvation doesn't start when you die and go to heaven. Salvation is supposed to start the moment you make Jesus your Lord and you are supposed to enter into a relationship to where Jesus becomes your very best friend. And you know Him and He adds a dynamic to your life that nothing else can compare with. You know, I praise God for eternity and the older I get, the more I think about it. Amen. <laughs> You know, right now, my mother is 95 years old and she's just told me, if, I, if something happens to me, don't you pray for me. Don't you bring me back from the dead. She says, you let me die. She says, I've outlived all of my friends and I'm ready to go. And she's talking about going and being with the Lord. And you know what? I'm thinking more about heaven and heaven is a wonderful thing. Praise God for heaven. But you know what? I am not holding on and praying that God could help me last until heaven starts because I am living a victorious, joyful, blessed life right now. Amen. I'm not just awestruck and, and desiring to go to heaven. I mean, I'm excited about it, but you know what? It is exciting to see people's lives change. We've seen a hundred people's lives changed in just the last 24 hours right here. We are on television and radio. People's lives are being changed. Good things are happening. I'm excited about what God is doing. And you know what? I'm excited about knowing God and having a relationship with God. Well, last night I couldn't hardly sleep because I was enjoying the Lord so much. I was just having a great time. This is what God created us for, is for relationship with Him. And when you say that Repent of your sins so that you won't go to hell. It causes a lot of problems. One of them is that people get the impression, without it being exactly said, they get the impression that the Lord is really what you need for eternity so that you won't go to hell. But they don't see the relevance of God to everyday life. You know, if you talk to the average person on the streets out there, I guarantee you the average American statistics show that like, I think it's 95% of the American public believes that there is a God. Atheists are a very small percentage. 
And so 95% believe that there is a God. If you ask the average person on the street, they know that there's a heaven and a hell. But very few people have really dealt with this issue and have really uh, committed themselves to the Lord and gotten forgiven. And you know why? Because they are so short-term thinking. They're short-sighted. They are living in hell right now. There's a lot of people that are going through marriage problems. They are having financial problems. There's physical problems, emotional problems. There's all of these things. And they are trying to muddle through the day. They can't think about 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the future. They should, but most people aren't doing it. And they don't perceive religion as having relevance to this life. It's all about eternity because that's the way that the church has presented it. Believe on Jesus so you won't die and go to hell. I tell you, if we were living a vibrant relationship where we were showing people that, man, God is alive. God speaks to me. God is moving in my life. I've been healed of things. God has met my financial needs. I am not depressed and discouraged because God is giving me joy and peace. And if we were walking in this, and if this was the message of the church, if it was about relationship, these people that believe in the existence of God would be running to God to find that relationship. You know, when I was 18 years old, I went over to Rome. And I remember... This was right after God had touched my life. And man, I was so excited about God. And when we got to Rome, I spent hours walking through the Colosseum and the Forum and the Circus Maximus and all of these places where Christians were martyred. And then we got a tour of the catacombs. And I went into the catacombs and I was just amazed. at They, they, had, all, they had to bury their dead in the catacombs because the Romans would desecrate all of the Christian graves. So the Christians would bury their dead in the catacombs and then these passageways, they, had, they would just dig holes back into there and stick the bodies in and then they would put a plaque over the front. And they had translated a lot of these plaques into many different languages. And I just spent hours walking through the catacombs reading these plaques that were on the graves of the Christians. And it was amazing. I remember one guy in particular had written, Here lies my wife and six-month-old daughter who gave themselves for the glory of God in the Circus Maximus, and then he gave the date. They were thrown to the lions, and this guy was bragging about it as what an honor. And as you read their tombstones, most of them were tragic. They were killed. They were burnt at the stake. They would sharpen stakes and run them up through a person and impale them and then burn them at the stake. They would throw them to the lions. Terrible torture. And these people, there are actual historical accounts when you go to Rome that the Christians would fight to see who got to go out and be burned at the stake or thrown to the lions. Because they knew that it would glorify God. And there was, the scripture says, uh, Paul said over in Philippians chapter 3, I read that verse last night, to, to uh, he wanted to experience the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, when you suffer for the cause of the Lord, God just gives you a supernatural grace So much so that actually, in in a way, it's good to suffer because God's comfort is so great that it makes the suffering nearly be worth it. And the Christians experienced this and there was accounts of them literally fighting to see who got to go out there because the glory of God, the blessing of God would fall on those people to such a degree that they would experience this and the Christians would fight to see who got the honor of dying for the Lord. There are actual accounts 
that Nero stuck his fingers in his ears and says, why do these Christians sing as they die? It bothered Nero. There are also accounts of up to seven Romans jumping out of the stands and running out there and instantly knowing that they were going to be crucified, they were going to be burned at the stake, they were going to be thrown to the lions. But they would run out there because they saw so much joy. They knew that God was touching these people's lives and they saw so much joy, so much peace in their life that they were willing to face death to get what these Christians had. They would run out there and confess Jesus as their Savior. You know what that says? That these first century Christians had a relationship. You know, there's so many ways to say that. Look over in 1 John chapter 1. Let me just read to you how John introduced this book. In verse 1 it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. He's not talking about, I've got a doctrine. I've got a belief. Here's a rule. Here's a dogma. Here's a creed. Do this. He starts off by saying, man, we have touched God. We have felt God. We have seen him. He was talking about a person, about a reality, not some rule and regulation. In verse 2, for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life. Remember, the scriptural definition of eternal life isn't just living forever. It's knowing God intimately and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, And we show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. And here's his reason for writing. That you may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The reason he was writing this book was to bring people into relationship. He says, I'm not writing this so that you could avoid hell and that you won't ever go to hell and that you can escape the damnation of hell forever. The reason that John was writing was to bring people into fellowship with God, into relationship. He was talking about his personal relationship. And brothers and sisters, this isn't the goal of most Christians. Most Christians come to the Lord because they have heard that they are going to go to hell for their sins and so they repent so that they won't go to hell. And even though that's true, and that's, if that's all there was to salvation, that would be better than what we deserve and I'd preach that if that's all there was to it. But it's much more than that. Missing hell is really an insignificant. That's, that's a terrible thing to say, but relative to knowing God, missing hell is insignificant. The goal of heaven, the goal of knowing God is to have a relationship with Him, not to miss hell. If you have just prayed and asked Jesus to come into your life and now you're treading water and just trying to maintain enough religious um, fervor in your life so that you won't die and go to hell, well then you have missed the whole purpose of salvation and this is where most people are. I'm telling you that the goal of salvation is to know Jesus. And if you have confessed Jesus as your Lord, if your sins are forgiven, if you're on your way to heaven, and if you don't have a vibrant, exciting relationship with God, you are missing salvation. You could have your sins forgiven and on your way to heaven, and you are missing the purpose, the goal of salvation. The Lord loves us and the Lord wanted relationship. He didn't just redeem us from hell. It's not just God who had a responsibility because he's our creator and so therefore he felt some 
obligation to do something about this mess that he created. And so he forgave us so that we wouldn't go to hell and things. Now see, that's a level of understanding about God that is incomplete. God loves us passionately. And ever since Adam and Eve rebelled in him, he sought them out in the garden. And he said, Adam, where are you? And he sought them out. And when they were naked and embarrassed and shamed, he made clothes to cover them. The Lord still walked with them and talked with them. And the whole history of the human race has been God trying to get back into relationship with his people. You know, when Moses came along, God, first of all, before he gave the Ten Commandments, he assembled all of the Jews together at Mount Sinai and he had them separate themselves and sanctify themselves. And he came down on the mountain and there was a fire that came down on the mountain and there were trumpets and there was an audible voice. And God once again started speaking to his people. The entire nation of Israel in an audible voice. God was trying to walk and talk and fellowship with us. And mankind came and told Moses, says, don't let God speak to us. He's so holy and we're so unholy, he'll destroy us. You go talk to him and tell us what he said. You know what? That wasn't God's plan. God wanted to talk. He wanted to bring that entire nation back into a relationship like he had with Adam and Eve where he could walk and talk with people again. And we said, no, God, we can't stand you. And we made God start using and going through people. Now when Jesus came, Jesus has placed himself on the inside of every one of us and God wants close, intimate, personal relationship with us. God wants to walk and talk with you every single day in fellowship with you. And I'm telling you, if we were to do this, it would just transform our life. Tell me how you could be lonely if God Almighty was talking with you every day. That just doesn't compute. I do not understand a person that says they're lonely. I can't wrap my brain around it. If you're lonely and you've got God Almighty with you and the communion of the Holy Spirit, and anytime you want to, you can go to praying in tongues and build yourself up on your most holy faith. I can't understand how people get depressed. I haven't been depressed in, well, it's been 40 years now. 40 years since I've been depressed. And I've had lots of depressing things happen to me. Amen. Some of you are thinking, I don't believe that. Well, then it won't work for you. Amen. But I tell you, ever since I came to realize that God loves me and that God's with me, I have depressing things happen to me. I have things come against me the same as anybody else. But I go back and think about God loving me. It's my personal relationship with God keeps me from being lonely. You cannot be depressed if you are accessing this relationship with God. A person who is depressed, it's because you are not thinking about what God has done for you. You aren't fellowshipping with Him. You are looking at your problems. You are anticipating the worst case scenario. You're operating in fear and unbelief instead of faith. You have to do all of those things before you can be depressed. Somebody said, oh, that's not so. This happened and I didn't do any. Yes, you did. You have to focus on those negative things. I have depressing things happen to me. We got depressing things going on in my life right now. If I was to tell you some of my problems, many of you would go to feeling sorry for me. I could make many of you feel like, man, I've really had a good day. I got lots of bad things going on. You know, Cammie's down here and her brother's fighting for his life and she's up here just worshiping the Lord. Not because there's something else that she couldn't think about. 
She's choosing to worship the Lord and focus on God. That's wrong to think, well, I can't help it. You can help it. It's your choice what you think on. And I just don't understand. A person who is depressed and defeated and lonely and bitter and all of these kind of things, it's because you aren't walking in relationship with God. If we would just start knowing Him and let God build you up, God would encourage you. So what if some co-worker did something to damage you and slander you? I have people come to me all the time, but you don't know what this person said about you. Man, if criticism would kill you, I'd be dead. I tell you what, I have people, I've been kidnapped, I've been threatened to be killed, I've had terrible things done to me, and not very long ago, amen. (laughs) I mean, I have a lot of things going on in my life, but you know what, that doesn't have anything to do with what God thinks about me, and I just go to the Lord. I talked to somebody last week who was so bitter and somebody had treated them badly in church and they hadn't been to church for 20 years or whatever. And I said, did any of those people who criticized you, these pastors and stuff, did they have prints of nails in their hand? Did they have nail prints in their feet? Did they have a spear stuck into their side? And he says, well, no. And I said, well, then why are you mad at God for what somebody else did? That just defies lot. Well, but they did this to me. Well, you know what? If you had a personal relationship with God, see, the problem is you are codependent upon people. Most of us really do not have a strong enough relationship with God to be able to access Him and stuff. We are dependent upon people. The only people that will ever let you down are the ones that you lean on. If you never lean on anybody but God, you know what? You'll never get let down. Amen. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I guarantee you that'll solve a lot of problems. You could get rid of bitterness and hurt and heartache and, and fear and all of this stuff and be gone. Personal relationship and take care of that. And this is what the Lord called us to. This is the goal. It's the purpose of salvation. And brothers and sisters, if we're settling for anything less then you're missing the whole point of salvation. And so here we are trying to get the benefits of salvation without knowing God in a close, intimate, personal way. That's just wrong. What do you, what, how do you feel when your children come and they want something? They want some money. They want the car keys. They want this. They want that. They're going to use you. They're just sucking the life out of you. But they don't want any relationship with you. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to spend time sitting and eating with the family. They would like to, you know, be able to go out with their friends. But they see you as the person who can supply everything. Do you know what? That does not please a parent. You, you want to give things to your children. I'm not saying that God doesn't want to bless us, but God wants us more than he wants what we what we can get from him he wants he wants doesn't want our service he wants us and if he gets us he'll get our service everything else will come out of it you know we're in the churches again preaching that you need to do a work for god someday you're going to stand before god and you're going to be judged and are you going to stand there and are you going to be embarrassed are you going to stand there and be shamed In the church that I grew up in, we used to sing these songs about will there be any stars, any stars in my crown when at evening at last I lay down. Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior soul? Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty-handed go? And you know what? The altars would fill and people would come down here and they were going to start witnessing. You know why? It's not because they loved God. 
And it's not because they loved people. It's because they loved themselves and they saw themselves someday being embarrassed and shamed. And so I'm going to get up and do something and earn me a crown so that I won't be shamed when I get before the Lord. It's all selfish motivation. That's not the way. You know what? If people ever came into relationship with God, and if you started having a relationship with God, you wouldn't have to sit there and force people. Now, you go out and tell somebody about how good God is. If you were experiencing the goodness of God, you couldn't keep your mouth shut. It's like a little kid at Christmas. You don't tell your kids. Now, you go out and tell all of your friends how much this toy costs and how wonderful your dad is. And you go out and make them feel bad because their bike isn't as nice as your bike. You don't have to tell kids that. You have to do just the opposite. You have to say, now, don't go out and make your friends feel bad because you've got something really nice You know, you have to sit there and tone it down. That's the way it ought to be in the body of Christ. If people were in relationship with God, and if they were enjoying God, we'd have to be having classes to say, now, don't go out and try and make everybody feel bad and and condemn them. You know, we'd have to be slowing people down. But instead, we're trying to push them out the door, kick them out the door, and go do something because they don't know how good God is. Everything is all off in the future. We're singing when we all get to heaven. What a day that'll be. In the sweet by and by. But in the rough now and now, it's pitiful. Amen. And we have these songs on our radios today about just wailing and travailing about how hard it is. And oh God, come help me and stuff. And Man, I tell you what, there's a lot of times that I turn off Christian radio and I just turn it over and listen to straight unbelief. Because it's easier to discern unbelief than it is to sit there and weed through all of this Christian blues and griping and complaining and talking about how bad everything is. Oh, stupid song. Man, we have, I tell you, Christianity has some of the stupidest songs. It's terrible. Just wailing and talking about how bad it is. Those are people that don't know God. I tell you what, my, my worst day as a Christian is better than my best day as a non-Christian. Amen. Absolutely. We're amplifying and magnifying the wrong things. God wants relationship with us. You know, Jamie is awesome. She keeps a clean house. She's organized. Jamie has her spices alphabetized. I mean, if, if I want to find a spice, you just go down the row alphabetically and find it. If, if anything's missing, I just sit there and think, now, where is the logical place to put this? And it's always there. Jamie is super organized. She has a sign at the front door, wipe your feet, take off your shoes and stuff. But you know what? I appreciate her keeping a clean house and doing all of that stuff. And that adds and it's a blessing. But I didn't marry her because she's a good housekeeper or because she's a good cook or because she washes my clothes. I married her. I told Jamie when we got married, I said, I want you to share the rest of my life with me. And I, I married Jamie because I love Jamie and I enjoy Jamie. And the fact that she does these things is wonderful. But you know what? That's not what I married her for. And if she got to where she was more concerned about keeping a clean house and washing clothes and doing this and this than she is about me, then the very things that are now a blessing would cease to be a blessing. They'd be a curse. If she got to where if I walked in and didn't take my boots off, she yelled at me, how dare you get dirt on my carpet? And if she loved that carpet more than she loved me, then I'd be jealous of that carpet. 
And you know, Jesus, the Bible says the exact same thing. The Lord commanded sacrifices in the Old Testament, but He says, I'm sick of your sacrifices. He says, away with your sacrifices. They're a stink in my nostril. You know why? Because they were ritually observing all of these things down to the last little detail. They were condemning other people because they didn't do it right. They were counting the number of steps they walked on a Sabbath day. They were keeping the rituals, but they didn't know God. He says, your heart is far from me. The Lord wants you. He doesn't just want your money. He doesn't just want your service. God wants you. I don't know about you, but that blesses me to think that God Almighty would want me. That God Almighty loved me. This is what changed my life. March the 23rd, 1968. I found out that God loved me. Not somebody else. He didn't just love what I could do for him. If I would perform, then he would love that and accept me based on that. God loved me completely separate from my performance. God loved me. God carried my picture in his wallet. God loves me. That changed my life. I began to start having an intimate relationship with God that I guarantee you I started serving God more accidentally than I ever had on purpose before. If you're having to sit there and tell somebody, now you go to church and you pay your tithes and you witness and you do this and you read your Bible and if you are doing that, and I guarantee you they don't know God. If you ever experience the love of God, you can't get enough of it. You, you can't, nothing else compares. Football doesn't compare with Jesus. Sports doesn't compare with Jesus. All of the things that we occupy our life with, nothing compares with Jesus. If you start having a relationship with Him, everything else in your life would fall into its proper uh, place. Everything. You'd find out that things wouldn't bother you. Things that are bothering you now, we obsess over these immaterial, insignificant things because our life is so trivial. We're focused on who survived this week's cut on American Idol. God forbid. Who gives a rip? Who cares? Well, how dare you say that? Well, you know what? You've been spending time with God. All of our idols don't count. Amen. I'm offended at the name of that show, much less anything that goes on in it. You know what? We just need to get to where you're in fellowship with God. It puts a perspective on everything. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. And this is what it's all about. You know, just real quickly, instead of turning over to these verses, let me just mention that there's many places in Scripture where it talks about blessing the Lord, about magnifying His name and stuff. And you know, these have become religious cliches to where we get into church and we just go, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. But that's not what this is talking about. Just saying the words doesn't mean that you've blessed the Lord. This is implying that God is a real person that has feelings and He can be blessed. God gets blessed. He's excited by you when you love Him, when you minister unto Him. It blesses God. Just lifting your hands and saying, bless the Lord, doesn't necessarily bless God. But when you start loving Him and having a relation, God gets blessed. God can be ministered unto. Acts chapter 13 verse 2 talked about the people as they fasted and prayed and ministered to the Lord. People think, well, what does God have that I could minister to Him? Just saying, I love you, ministers to God. God gets blessed. 
You know, most people think God doesn't have any needs. Well, yes, he does, because the Bible says, 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. Any person who loves not only has a need to express that love, but they want to have that love returned. They want to... They want to see that it is blessing the person that they're loving. Unrequited love is what we make tragedies out of. God loves us. And when we just say, Father, I love you back. I thank you. Did you know that blesses God? We have something to give God. You know, there was a time that I took my two boys out horseback riding. They were three and five at the time. And I took them out horseback riding, let them each take a friend, and we went and played in the creek, and we made a swing and swang across the creek, and we built the dam, and we got dirty, and we rode our horses all day long. We ate junk food. We did all of the stuff that if Jamie was there, she would have said something about it. And we, we ate junk food. We were dirty. It was just a great day. We had a big time. And anyway, after it was all over, we got them cleaned up, Washed them, uh, had our devotions, went to bed, prayed with them. And as I was walking out of Peter's room, my youngest son, he says, Dad. And I said, Yes. And he says, You're a good dad. You know what that did? It blessed me. He didn't go, Bless you, Dad. (laughs) You know what? He just said, Dad, you're a good dad. That was his way of saying thanks. And you know what it made me want to do? Get him out of bed and go do it all over again just to have him say, Dad, you're a good dad. And you know, ever since then, I've been saying, God, you're a good God. Father, thank you for a good day. Thank you that I'm healthy. Thank you that you've blessed me. Father, thank you for the good things that you do in my life. And you know what? Every time I do that, I believe it blesses God. And it makes God want to bless me even more. You know what? That's relationship with God. What do you think of a person when, they, when you do something for them and they just take it and walk off and never even say thank you? You know what? That's the way most of us are. It's a characteristic listed of the end times that they will be unthankful and unholy. And I guarantee you there's people right here in this room that you're thinking, but I need to be healed and I need money and I need this. And yet look at what God has already done for you. If you would just be thankful for what you've already got, thank God that things are as good as they are. So your foot hurts. I bet there's some people in here that doesn't have a foot that would like to have one that hurt. Man, if we would just be thankful and, and appropriate God, you know what? Fear would be gone. Fear is one of the greatest impediments to receiving your healing, worry and things like this. If you were just re- in relationship with God, it would solve so many problems. Your healing would work better. Your prosperity would work better. You'd be more optimistic. And it just comes down to the fact that people don't know God. They aren't having a relationship with Him. You know, I was preaching along this lines about 25, 30 years ago. And uh, there was a woman in Huntsville Prison that was in for double murder. And she had gotten born again in prison, but they had her locked in solitary confinement. She couldn't even witness to anybody. So here she was, born again, spirit-filled, But her whole life had been a mess. She had embarrassed her family. Her husband and children had disowned her because she had murdered somebody. She had hurt the families of the people that she had murdered. Her whole life was a waste. Now she was a drain on the taxpayers and she couldn't even redeem anything by witnessing to any other inmates because she was locked in solitary confinement. 
And she was literally asking God just to kill her and to take her home, that she wanted to die and get out of here, and she was looking forward to heaven. And she heard me talk about how that God is love and that God desires for us to minister back to Him and that we can minister unto God and that we can bless Him by just saying thank you. And this woman wrote me a letter. I never will forget. It had tear stains on that letter. And she said at that time she was not even eligible for parole until 1999 or something. It was over 20 years away. And she says, it'll seem like nothing because now she says, I've got a purpose for my life. I'm aware that I can bless God. It doesn't matter if they put me in solitary confinement. God is pleased. God inhabits the praises of his people. And this woman was just praising God and saying, I'm freer than I've ever been. And she was totally free. And I thought, you know what? She is freer. She actually has more freedom in her life than most of us who aren't in prison. Because she is in communion with God. And here's this woman in solitary confinement saying, Man, I'm free for the first time in my life. She was experiencing liberty. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Brothers and sisters, God loves us. God wants you. God appreciates you, and He wants you to bless Him. He wants you to just spend time with Him. And you don't have to be doing something. Again, the church has said the only way we can really bless God is to go out and do a work for God. I was raised in a church that we used to actually quote this poem. We'd say, Mary had a little lamb. It would have been a sheep, but it joined the Baptist church and died from lack of sleep. Amen. And I mean, you just had to do something. You had to be working all of the time. I was always going to church. I was always witnessing. I was always doing something. I became a human doing instead of a human being. You know what? God just wants you. And if he would get you, if you would, first of all, give him yourself and just spend time saying, Father, it's hard for me to believe that you really could get blessed by me. But based on what the word says, I bless you. Thank you for a beautiful day. Thank you for getting to live in a free nation. Thank you that things are as good as they are. You know, we look at the political system and some people are just so negative and so bummed out over all of the criticism and stuff. But think about Paul. He lived in a situation that was a million times worse. Think about that they just uh, went into Beirut, Lebanon and, and Hamas has taken that over and there's war and stuff going on. You know, things could be worse. You ought to be praising God that they're as good as they are. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, that we got the bad candidates that we have. Amen. Thank you that it's not worse. Oh, God, it could be worse. Be thanking God for things. And if you would be blessing God, you know what? Your relationship with God would begin to build and you would have joy. And all of a sudden things would start rolling off your back like water off a duck's back. You'd find out that you wouldn't be worried about things that you were worried about before. And therefore you'd be happy. A merry heart does good like a medicine. You wouldn't even be fighting half of the sicknesses that you're fighting if you were just walking in the joy of the Lord. Man, everything would change. We have become so humanistic, we forget all of these spiritual dynamics and we're looking for food to be the answer to all of your things. Lifestyle, and you got to do this. And we find somebody who lives a long time and we go over and research what their diet's like. You know, I, it just amazes me that the Japanese, they, they are known certain portions of them for longevity and they, they go and look at the fact that they eat rice and um, fish. 
Why don't they ever take into account that the Bible says if you honor your father and mother, you'll live long upon this land? And the Japanese happen to be to the point that they even worship ancestors. You talk about honoring father and mother and revering the elderly, and people don't even take that into account. The scripture says a merry heart does good like a medicine. People don't ever check to see if a person has been happy. They look at their diet. They look at their exercise. It's my personal opinion that exercise and diet is like 20% max of your health equation. Being merry, having a good attitude, being in the presence of God, honoring your father and mother, seeking God and loving Him and doing things like this are much more important than what you eat. My mother's 95 and is it eating junk food all of her life. <laughs> Amen. But she was orphaned at birth. And uh, these people adopted her. And of course, kids in school used to make fun of her and say, you're an orphan. You're adopted. And you know what? Some people today would just, that, that had hurt them. They'd be wounded because somebody made fun of them. My mother's response was, my parents chose me. Your parents had to take what they got. Says, my parents loved me. When my mom and dad married, uh, there were women in Fort Worth, Texas that looked nearly identical to my mother. And my dad was going to go find out if that was a sibling or something and try and find out her family. And she says, why do I want to find out my family? They didn't want me. I've got a family. My family accepted me. I don't care about all of this. She wasn't insecure. She was praising God. And she honored her parents. And you know what? She's 95 years old. And still going. I tell you what, we are just so carnal. We're looking for a physical, chemical reaction for everything. Spiritual things are much more important. If we were just fellowshipping with God and loving God and walking with God, I'm telling you, your life would transform. You would begin to start being more productive in your business, your work. You would, you would rise to the top. If you were a happy person, I guarantee you people just love that when somebody comes in and has a positive attitude and creates an atmosphere and changes things. And on the other hand, they hate it when you come in and you're so negative that you just are constantly draining all of the life out of everybody around you. If we were walking in the joy of the Lord, and if it was our strength, I guarantee you, you'd be better physically, you'd be better financially, you'd be better in relationships. We wouldn't have to be praying over half the stuff that we pray over if you just know God and let the whole purpose of salvation begin to work in your life. Your goal shouldn't be to get healed. Your goal shouldn't be to be prospered. Your goal should be to know God. And out of that comes everything that God is and has. But it's a lot easier, so we think, to just come to a meeting and let somebody rub their, wave their hand over you and get your healing so that you can go back to watching as the stomach turns. <laughs> Actually, it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder. It's a lot harder. I tell you what, I don't even have many of the fights that some of you have because I just seek God and I dwell in the presence of God and walk with God and I don't even have many of the worries and cares and problems that you have. It's hard not serving God. I'm telling you, it's better. This is what eternal life is. It's knowing God right now. It's having an intimate relationship with Him. This is what salvation is all about. And the forgiveness of your sins wasn't even a major goal. It was God wanted relationship with you and it just so happened that sin was like a barrier that stood between you and God. 
And so, yes, Jesus did forgive your sins because you couldn't enter into relationship with God if you didn't have your sins forgiven and if you were still guilt-ridden. And so God did deal with sins and He did forgive sins. But He removed that barrier so that He could have relationship with you. And to get your sins forgiven and then not take advantage of what that was to produce is the greatest tragedy of all. And this is where the vast majority of Christians are. I tell you, brothers and sisters, God loves you. I wish I could talk to you, everyone individual. I wish somehow or another I could make this real. I prayed with a woman, Emily, back here today and needed healing. And she says, I pray for other people and the power of God just flows through me and yet I don't get healed on my own. And you know, the Lord gave me a word for her that that's because you believe with no reservations that God loves other people. But it's hard for you to believe that God loves you. You know you better than you know other people. And you know what? This is true of a lot of us. There's some of you that you would have compassion on somebody else in your same situation, but you sit there and you don't really understand how much God loves you. Well, God loves you. I don't know how to get this across any better than what I'm doing. God loves you. God wants to have personal, intimate relationship with you. Now, I haven't told you really how to get into that yet, but before I can share with you how to do it, you first of all got to put this as the goal of your life. You've got to make this a priority. You've got to begin to start seeking and searching for this. And there's a lot of us that never have had this as a goal of salvation. The purpose that we got saved was so that we wouldn't go to hell. And then we seek God occasionally if we have a need in our life. But we don't put God first and foremost in our life. If that's where you are, that needs to change today. You first of all need to say, God, I want to know you. That's the first step. And then tonight and the rest of this meeting, I'm going to be sharing with you some things about how you can do that, how you can get a vibrant relationship with God going and it'll help you. But it won't help you if you first of all don't have this as a goal as a desire of your life. This needs to become your number one priority. And you know, I know that there's people out there right now that you really are seeking what God can provide, but you aren't seeking God. You're wanting everything that He can do in your life, but you don't really want Him. And you, you need to change that. You need to repent of that. You need to ask God to forgive you for just using Him. And never coming back and saying thanks. For being one of those lepers, the ten were cleansed and only one person came back and blessed the Lord. And, and thanked Him for all that He's done. Most of us have just taken and taken and taken and not really given anything back. Thinking, I have nothing that God wants. God wants you. He just wants you. He wants a relationship with you. Man, that's nearly too good to be true news. Some of you think, well, I wouldn't want to be with me if I was God. God sees things differently than we do. God sees you in the Spirit. He sees who He's made you to be. And God wants relationship with you. Boy, that is good news. That is nearly too good to be true. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And I just encourage you to appropriate it. We're going to start talking tonight. Uh, these first two sessions have been trying to get across this point that this is the goal of salvation. That tonight, I'm going to start sharing with you some things that you can do to start understanding and building relationship with God. And it's going to, I believe it's going to help you. It's going to make a difference in your life.
Amen. If there's anybody here this morning who doesn't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, 